Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Achtung, achtung. Welcome to, uh, well, we have Wazefest, a little bit of backstage stuff. Uh, this is the Friday before the festival's actually opened, which means we're sort of roaming at will, looking at some of the stuff that's here. Um, so we can talk about it without being bothered by all our million of fan, millions of fans. Isn't I know, that right, sneak Jim? preview, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that, sneak that preview. I feel really special today. Yeah, so do I. You know, having this, we've just been on a Cromwell, haven't we? And yeah, yeah, you know, it's all good. It's all perks good. of the job, what's, what's not to like, James? Absolutely um, uh, nothing. Apart from I got T-shirt number one. He doesn't like that. Right, now, so... Um, <laughs> Who are we with, James? Explain what we're doing, because this is this. I mean, obviously, some big shells here, and then there's some smaller shells. Right, we're here with the brilliant Keith Brigstock um, of the Garrison Artillery Volunteers. Is that correct? That's correct. I've got the I got it in the right Volunteers of Artillery Artillery Volunteers. Anyway, the Garrison um, Artillery Volunteers, and Keith, you know, we've known known each other for a few years now, and. I have seen you put on these displays of a troop of 25-pounders and, indeed, anti-tank guns as well. And you do it absolutely to the letter, and it's, and it's just an amazing thing to witness because I think, you know, living history, you know, th- those phrases can be, that phrase can be a bit of a dirty word, but when it's done properly, it's really, really good. And it does further your understanding. It's that idea of kind of learning from the process of doing. Uh, and I love the fact that you've trained up some 40 blokes in how to fire a 25-pounder, and, and they could do that tomorrow for live, for real, if you really needed them to. Yeah, they, they could. We've actually done some training with the, with the Royal Artillery. We went out to Ireland with the Irish Army. We did some training out there as well. Um, and so that's what we concentrate on. You know, we might not be the youngest or the slimmest, um, and we may look a bit um, off in our uniforms occasionally, but where our expertise is, the drills and skills, and... We sort of think of ourselves as a, a museum of drills and skills. You, yeah. can't, you can't put drills and skills in a museum. You can't put it in a glass case. You've got to be able to learn them and do it. Um, and a lot of people look really great. And they do what I call diorama reenacting, and they set up displays, and they look fantastic, and they know the stuff. But it's a bit different when you're going out there with a tonne and three-quarters of gun, and you're trying to put it into action and do it right without losing your fingers. Well, I was going to say... Losing your fingers is obviously like a big part of this. Are you an artilleryman? Is that is that I your was? Yeah, I spent right, so it's your background, years. right? Yeah, yeah. I still work at the School of Artillery now, so I'm right. I'm immersed in it. They used to say, "Brigstock, you cut him in half, it will say Royal Artillery around the middle all the way through." <laughs> <laughs> so is this a question of uh, keeping this alive because? Um, it matters to you as a member of the core or uh, and the history. Is it is it is it a blend of both? It's a it's pretty much a blend of both. Um, I've also standing outside looking in. Sometimes inside doesn't necessarily see it quite so easy. Um, and we've been doing some work with uh, two two one battery, which are the reserves 
uh, training batteries that go around and train some of the yeah. others and their instructors um, about operating in a uh, GPS denied environment. That's yes. a skill we've now lost and we're trying to relearn. Isn't but that of course, whereas because we've kept those drills and skills alive, a manual survey using directors, passing line, uh, and all of that, that side of it, we're able to now t- to show back to the, to the army and say, Right, well, this is how it used to be done. When, when your iPhone breaks, this is what you're going to do. Yeah, basically. You, well, yeah, here's your compass, here's your, yeah. here's your director. Now yeah, put your battery of guns in and, and get them all parallel. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Because, because they weren't operating in a GPS-denied environment. Well, there's no such thing as a exactly GPS-denied GPS so environment. It, it was exactly that. Yeah. They were doing it normally. They were doing the, and, and so we've learned the drills uh, from the 1940s, mostly 1944 drill on the 25-pounder. Um, and to be fair... The drills in 1940 on the gun, apart from a few word changes on the fire discipline, didn't change right the way up into the 90s. Amazing. That is amazing. Um, um, because I suppose they're, they're fundamentally basic skills, aren't they? And, they are, um, yeah. You know, it, it's, line, it's not the gun, it's the, it's the principle, isn't it? Yeah, they changed to mills from, from degrees, but other than that, the system was exactly the same. same. Right. right. Um, go on, James. Well, no, I was going to say, so, so, you know, we're standing around your encampment, there's a few couple of 25 pounders there the gun tractors limbers beside them we've got your tents here but you've also set up a table here of enormous amount of of shells and ammunition well, and and i know you have very very strong views about all this and feel that a lot of people don't understand that the shell is yeah the key it, part of this exactly you know it's um the shell is the weapon the gun is just a means of delivery and they yeah. all do different things a bit like Thunderbird, you know, all the different Thunderbirds and Thunderbird well, it, Two it, has different I mean, payloads. Would, it, would that be? I mean, like it's like an it's like basically an aeroplane. That the, the aeroplane is the delivery system. The weapon is the you know. So a, a Lancaster could drop a cookie. It could drop a exactly an that. incendiary bomb. It could drop a, 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 a but you don't think of boy, the Lancaster as the weapon. Yeah, the bomb is the weapon, and yeah. exactly the same for an artillery piece. And and you have all different, especially in the in the in the howitzer in the field role. Yeah. Not quite in the um, in the anti-tank role because it's all about killing a target. Yeah. But certainly when you're delivering, I mean, if you if you start at this one at the end here, this is a hundred pound um, five point five inch howitzer uh, that's shell. That's a big boy, isn't it? It's a big, isn't it? Uh, and that's the bigger one of the of the. And that's HE, is it? So that's the eighty pound, and there was a hundred pound version of it, which was even get slightly bigger. But that's that, high explosive. That is high explosive with a one one seven fuse. However, so, so it's got this tip at the top, hasn't it? So that yeah. So you can unscrew that. You can unscrew that. Yeah, and vary the, um, uh, the vary the, the type of yeah. So it'll be delay. So while you leave that on, that's delay. So it means it'll go into the ground and blow up in the ground. Whereas if you take the top off, that's graze action or point detonating, which means as soon as it touches something, it'll explode. Got it. But that's an HE version. There was smoke. There was food delivery in uh, in uh, in after Arnhem. We were firing five five rounds over the top delivering food so they were base ejection rounds leaflets leaflet delivery so the round is functioning what we and and if you listen to the the hierarchy and the gunners now they'll say that the round functions in the target area and the reason it's functioning (laughs) because it's either exploding dropping smoke base ejection white phosphorus gas gas yeah, yeah. yeah whatever yeah so whatever it does that's what it's doing so it's delivering its payload and that could be food and they did drop food with them in the second world war wow amazing yeah i had but, no idea did you no no i didn't know that now but 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 you're all about the 25 pounder though 
Um, which, which, yeah. which doesn't lob anything, anything like as, as No, as that's a 25-pounder around there. That's the, yeah, about half the size of the 80-pounder, yeah. 25. Um, they did also, though, drop smoke, drop, yeah. and they did drop leaflets out of 25-pounders as well. So what they did in the war, they took the base out, loaded it with, uh, and took out the smoke canisters and replaced them with leaflets. Right. And then find them. And it, so it operates exactly the same as a smoke round does. So it goes through the air, gets to a certain point, the fuse detonates, blows the base of the round out, and then fires all the uh, leaflets And the leaflet out. says, you see, we, we can shell you quite easily. You'd be best off surrendering. Exactly. And it yeah. works because certainly towards the end of the war, we were leaflet going everywhere. A number of attacks uh, after Arnhem uh, were put off because we were leaflet dropping them and they, we didn't, they didn't want us to shell them while they were leaflet dropping yeah. them because they wanted them to give up. Um, the 25-pounder, though, is the, it, that's the mainstay um, uh, artillery weapon, or field howitzer, isn't it? Uh, it uh, yeah, gun, gun howitzer. Gun, yeah. gun howitzer that the British Army are using. What's the, what's the genesis of the weapon, um, uh, well, it, of the gun, and not the weapon, of the gun? Yes. Um, uh, uh, where does it come from and, and how does it fit in and, uh, you know, what's the story of it? At the end of the First War, a gun that was developed called the Mark IV 18-pounder. And you, you've got one of them up at, yeah. the, up, up at the shed there. And um, it was a fixed trail, recoil underneath the gun, um, and it was a multi-charge gun. So it could yeah. fire... And then... Sorry, it couldn't fire a multi-charge, but what it, it was a fixed charge. Yeah. Like a bullet. 18-pounder rounds. Yeah. Fixed. And then, um, then what they did is they decided they needed to have a longer range. The range yeah. was too short. And they needed to have a variable charge. So they converted 18-pounders into 25-pounders. Right. So a Mark I 25-pounder is effectively the same as a Mark IV 18-pounder, except the, the ball is slightly bigger. Yeah. But what they did to save money, because it was only a, an interim solution, is they wanted to be able to use an 18-pounder breech block, which is a yep. screw breech. So they made the base of the cartridges for an 18 uh, 25-pounder, the same size as an 18-pounder. Right. So they could use so the, the same So the diameter range, is the same? Only at the base. So the 25-pounder is a lot straighter. And what does the pounder... When are you talking about 25-pounder, 17-pounder, what does that That's mean? That's the standard weight of the shell. And the British do this in... We do this in shell weight, don't we? And the Americans are uh, 105 not mil. not quite as simple as that. <laughs> oh, God. I love that. But I love this, though. So, so the weapons are stopgap. There isn't a uniform way of looking at the round. The, so the they want to they want to try whatever. and increase the increase the range. Yeah, and because it's a gun howitzer, we'd never had a gun howitzer before. We'd either have a howitzer or a gun. Yeah, never a gun howitzer before. <laughs> so if you look at those charge uh, in front of you, you'll see that one of them, this one, is yep. dated 1937. Yes, but if you look at the the um, the name on it, it says 3.45. Yeah, because. And this is where I'm going to explain very quickly and without putting you to sleep. So, two <laughs> types of guns. Yeah. From prehistory, Napoleonic period, all the rest. You had howitzers. Yeah. And you had guns. Right. Howitzers were always measured in diameter, 4.5, 5, rounds. Sorry, and the difference between a gun and a howitzer is? Is the, um, the, the, the uh, angle it fires at. So, right. howitzers fire they above. Lob. Yeah, they lob the rounds. They lob and the guns are a direct fire weapon. Ish. Ish. Yeah. I love this. I love this. It's Not all exactly. Can't no. ever quite get a straight answer so it, out of artillery men, can you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what the wife keeps telling me. Um, so you, you're firing at, um, you're firing at an artillery piece, something like an 18-pounder. Yeah. Um, it is indirect, but it's quite minimum range. And, and you, 
it's indirect, although you can see the enemy. So you're not firing at them. Because that wouldn't work. No, because around it hit the ground. Around the ground. So you're no, so you're actually you've got to put an elevation on and you're lobbing the shell, but the enemy could be close enough you could see them. Right. What you're not doing is shelling someone on the other you're side. Of reverse slopes of a hill. Yeah, exactly and all that. that. Yeah. And that you need a howitzer to do at that time. And then we then we started to move forward into the First World War, in that sort of period, and suddenly everything changes. What happens in the First World War that we need to invent guns for? Aircraft, you need anti-aircraft guns. Yeah. Tanks, you need anti-tank guns. Yeah. So anti-aircraft guns, because they fire up... Are similar to howitzers. Yeah. So anti-aircraft guns are pretty much all called by the caliber, uh, the diameter of the caliber of the weapon. Forty millimeter Bofors, three point seven inch heavy anti-aircraft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they come from the ah, so they're from the gun line, and no, then they're the, from the howitzer, the howitzer line, line, and then the, the anti-tank gun... guns come from the uh, the field gun side. So they're called seventeen pounder, two pounder. Got you. And... Got you. It's all so clear suddenly, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I, I hadn't twigged that a 25-pounder and an 18-pounder were basically the same calibre. Mark 1, Mark at the one. Mark 1 level, yeah. So they, they, they've not, there is a little bit of difference. I mean, there's only a 6-pounder yeah, yeah, of, yeah, uh, yeah. of, uh, um, of weight. So, But it's the base of the cartridge that was the key because they wanted to be able to use the 18-pounder bridge block. And what yeah. you've got in there, that's just a cartridge, isn't it? That's not a shell. That's just a cartridge, yeah. So... The 25-pounder is a multi-charge system, whereas the 18-pounder is a is a single charge. round. So, so that's like, like a, a bullet. like a bullet, like a cartridge in a shotgun. Correct. It comes fo- it comes packed. Whereas the difference with the 25-pounder is you can vary the charge, f- propellant force basically. Yes. So, so, and, so and that's what they look like there. So you've got red, white, and blue charge yeah. bags. That's a charge one, two, and three. Yeah. They fit inside the charge. And it, depending on the range, depending on what bags you have inside it when you fire it. Yeah, and Got and, you. and the part of the calculation is wear and tear on the barrel as well. Because if you're using you're using a sort of um, most peppy charge every time, you're, there's wear and tear going into. But the, you in, wouldn't be able to fire it in short distances. That's, no, I know, I know, but 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 yeah, there's, there, there's there some is of that calculation of that. going but, on. Um, but they have a, a way of measuring the, the fire on guns, and so you record every gun you fire. One CFE. Equates to one round charge super. Right, gotcha. And so, and so you, you're allowed to fire 10,000 CFEs before you have to do a barrel change, something like that. Yeah. Don't quote me. Um, yeah, yeah, no. But, but charge one is only a quarter of a CFE. Charge yeah. two, and, and but this like, is the consideration that's going on in it, it, when you've got when you've got yeah. uh, uh, all these different and so charges. They, and so when they converted the 18 pounder to 25 pounder, the one thing they had to allow for was the fact it was a multi charge system. Yeah. So they had to put a slightly different elevation system on the right hand side because you get a different range for different charges and they yeah. had to be able to they couldn't yeah. fire charge super though and that's what the problem was with the mark 125 right. pounder right and, ju- and just for those who don't know so the the, the brass sort of cartridge case that is the cartridge, that, that's the propellant so that so, is the propellant. so, so you, and you have the different weights of charge and the levels of charge and all the rest of it and so what that is doing is that is igniting and in a very tight pressurized area that is forcing that is what is forcing up, the round to go and, and then okay. the rounds you have you have you know they do all the different things but but in terms of as a weapon, they're basically high explosive or solid shot. Um, Anti tank would be solid shot, and so uh, solid indirect. shot is just that's just a whopping great big bit of steel. Yeah. So that is what a uh, as you can see, it's about uh, ten inches long, and yep. that is a twenty five pounder solid shot. Right. They weren't, but 
they weren't bad, but they weren't particularly... It wasn't designed to be an anti-tank yeah. gun, so, so, but it so, did fill the gap. But in extremists, they, they, in the desert... Well, in they the would, desert, yeah, they yeah. used it a lot as an Over anti-tank, because a two-pounder wasn't man enough for yeah. a Panzer III yeah. or four. But just very quickly, we'll, do, we'll move on from, from shells pretty quickly, but... but here you've got a whole range of stuff, and you've also got the armour-piercing discarding sabot. Yep. And was that invented by the British? As far as I'm aware, yes, it was. I believe it was. <laughs> Without wanting to sound remotely jingoistic. <laughs> uh, and um, and actually, and first I'm, came in in August 1944, I think. Yeah, and it was just a phenomenal. It was, a, it was an absolute um, for short-range work. It's a Hungarian absolute... scientist, though. I think. <laughs> I think it was. I think. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure. It's, yeah, but it's pretty. But weren't they, on the, weren't they on the Germans on the Hungarians? <laughs> well, well, exiled. You know, it's, I was, I'm pretty sure that, that, that it's some. Um, I but, think you well, may well be right. What is a discarding sabot? Because again, we, we, we what we're we're doing a little bit of we we kind of know and some of this. As an anti-tank this. gun, as an anti-tank weapon, the uh, armour-piercing discarding sabot was transformative because instead of a shell coming from a three uh, seventeen pounder, I don't know, three thousand. 200 feet per second it's coming out at over 4,000 yeah. feet per second and that, that's and a it's hell a, of a loss there's it's, nothing to it, touch it it's mega hardened steel tungsten steel and it it will punch a hole it, yes, there was, an, and I know you've mentioned this before. There was an issue with its uh, with its accuracy, yeah, uh, so not over short range, yeah, yeah. but not over short range. And actually, slightly, it wasn't long after the war when we had Finn stabilised his yeah. guarding sabo, and that got rid of that problem. And they the sabo being the, the cladding of the round. That so, so you've got the you've got the actual projectile. Yes, there's one here. Look, yeah, there you go. The pointy the pointy hard bit is that, and goes all the way through. That's right. And when this fires, this. When it comes out the barrel, it falls away. Correct. Or flies off and, yeah, and hits an infantryman. <laughs> and, and, because, and that means it's smaller, so therefore it's getting the same amount of propellant to, to, to push something smaller, through smaller. smaller. Yeah, yeah. So the smaller it is, the less weight it is, which means it's got more power from that but it's ironic, much, isn't it? higher, because, much larger level of propellant. Because the guns are getting bigger, but the, ra- the actual round is getting... Well, you know, I've said this before. You know, there was two levels of technology going on at the yeah. time. There was one we, th- we felt that we kept needing bigger guns, bigger guns, bigger yeah. guns. But actually, we were actually coming back down. And as you said, the two-pounder, while it was pretty ineffective in 1940, by the time we got to 45 with squeeze ball technology, it was a much more effective gun. Squee- again, squeeze ball technology to the uninitiated. What, what, what's that? Well, it basically, because we had so many armoured cars that yeah. were fitted with two-pounders, and we couldn't really, because the turrets were small, we couldn't fit anything bigger in. So we needed to make the guns better. So had they had is a fitment that they would put over the end of the barrel. Now, bearing in mind that a two-pounder is 40 millimetre. Yeah. But with squeeze boy, that squeezed the round down to 37 mil. Right. So, so the round is put through more sort of friction and... Yes, it's it was designed. It looks wow, it looks a little bit like a, like a APDFS round, but with it, this doesn't lose it. it. This is the bit that shrinks. It's not it's not solid shot. It's shaped a bit like that, but that's so it can squeeze that down. But it just gives it much higher muzzle velocity, right. and that would take out a, a Panzer IV. A muzzle velocity is what it's all about, and that is the speed of which a projectile is passing over through the air. One of the things you've got to think about is, and 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 a lot of people don't understand it is muzzle brakes. Now, at the start of the Second World War, we had no guns that had muzzle brakes on the end of them. Yeah. Now, muzzle brakes are about recoil. So a 25-pounder, it had to be able to fire charge super, but without a muzzle brake on, it couldn't fire charge super in the anti-tank roll. So it, it was just too violent. Right. And so it would bounce. It would crew. Oh, yeah. no, well, it wasn't quite as bad as that, but it'd be jumping all over the place. You wouldn't hit anything, and it yeah. was just rubbish. 
as soon as we put a, uh, a muzzle brake on, it steadied it down and it meant we could fire charged super with anti-tank. Right. And that, may, again, was a bit of a game changer. It's, I mean, the thing it's is... It's not just about the size of the shell. It's not. Well, no, in, in, in some I mean, cases... Certainly not by the middle of 1944. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. I mean, the, the, the 25-pounder is doing most of the, the legwork. It is the field artillery piece. So much so... Uh, even in the sex, we went to the Americans and we said, you're priest, lovely bit of kit. Trouble is, it's got an American 105 in it. Not really good for us. Any chance of, of putting uh, a 25-pounder in it? Yeah. The Americans went, no, no, 105 is much better. No, it's not. So the Canadians went, and they said, we'll do it for you. And they came out with a sexton. The sexton was an, an infinitely better bit of kit. And you got one ammunition source in the battlefield. Yeah. You're not trying to spread the load. So what we did, we thought... And you want to make the quartermaster's life as easy as you possibly oh, yeah. can. I mean, we've talked about this with the Italians. Yeah, yeah. You know, they've got six millimetre rifle bullets. They've got, you know, 7.92. Yeah, they've got yeah. nine millimetre. Yeah, it's pick, you know, a, it's pick and mix carnage. problem, yeah. So on D-Day, we still had a load of priests, but we thought that the carnage on D-Day was going to be phenomenal. So we equipped a lot of the SP regiments with... Um, uh, priests on D-Day with a 105. SP meaning self-propelled, but it basically yeah. means a gun on tracks. Tracks, exactly that. So we thought, well, they're going to get hammered on D-Day, so we'll we'll let the um, the the priests take all the flak, and then as soon as we get inland, we'll, we'll replace them, them with sextants. The problem was that we didn't take anywhere near the casualties we were expecting on, on priests, so we suddenly had all these regiments still our priests, and they were scratching their head a bit to know what to do, but they got rid of them eventually. Yeah. But the sextant is is oh, just absolutely my favourite piece of track of any type of vehicle. That sound you're hearing in the back, back, background, by the way, is a universal carrier being uh, having its clutch stripped by a novice driver, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in this case, it's the owner. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just have a very, very quick look at this um, uh, this gun tractor here. Yeah, so we've, well, because, so we've been talking about the priest, about earlier, and this but is there's cool. a gun tractor here, and... Um, uh, it's a quad, right? Yep, Morris quad, and it's called a quad because it's four-wheel drive. Right, simple as that. Now this is I'm gonna I'm gonna I, I'm gonna stick my neck out. This is an ugly vehicle. It's a sort of it looks like a sort of rhomboid, uh, green rhomboid creature, doesn't it? It's squat, it's squatting its features, and it's a looks like a stink bug. Yeah, that's it. But what you've got to, there's two things you've got to understand. Can I just say that that's another carrier gone past? Yeah, God's armoured carrier that makes, just gone past. Yeah, that makes true. Al very happy. I, I love carriers. Early, it's an early war you know, one as well. Yes. But anyway, um, so you're right, it's an ugly vehicle. However, it is probably the most recognisable wartime vehicle of any make or model. And that's purely down to Airfix and Dinky yeah. Yeah. making them. And every child in, has made an Airfix 25-pounder set with a Morris quad. Yeah. And the dinky ones were all Morris quads as yeah, well. Yeah. So it's probably the most recognisable. But Keith, you were telling me earlier on that the reason it's got it's got all these sloping so it yeah. looks like it's sort of Well everybody thinks it's armoured because it's all metal. But it's not. It's and all the, to do with gas, isn't it? It is. It was they were designed in the nineteen thirties when gas was a massive thing. They had First World War, yeah. gas was a real problem for them, and so they needed to um, come up with a defence of gas. Of course, if you've got a canvas roof and you get gassed instantly you lose your, your roof. You've it's impregnated, you've got to get rid of it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. So what they wanted was a vehicle that didn't do that. So they created the Morris Quad, and if you look at it carefully, you'll notice there is not a single flat surface pointing upwards anywhere on the vehicle. Yes, there's no horizontal surfaces on the vehicle at all, are there? No. 
So anywhere you go, horizontal. horizontal. Oh yeah, that's vertical. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Catching it. He's, He's catching, catching up. He'd never make an artilleryman though if you can't tell horizontal from vertical. Around the planet is a very unusual place. So anywhere that the, the gas um, goes onto it, of course, you can wash the vehicle and it would just It'll soak away. Yeah. Um, and that's what it was really good for. Of course, when they took it to the desert, they started to realise there was real problems. There's very little ventilation. That's why those were put yeah. on the top, the little spillers. To put I can't imagine and how it was, hot it was yeah. in there. Well, they converted a lot of them. Um, they put a canvas opening in the top, but still yeah. with a bit of slope on it. And, and, and they were able to do that because, because it was it became clear quite quickly as the war proceeded that no one was going to use gas. Yeah, and that's why they, for, for, for D-Day, a lot of the later periods, they went to the number five body quad, which has, it is again a quad, but it's, it can carry a lot more kit and it has a canvas roof because the threat from gas was not there. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Caddy Kaye, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii, okay? And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics U.S. wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, I'm looking inside here. It's pretty. It's pretty basic. Uh, yeah, basic. But basic's good because basic doesn't break down. Yeah. So you've got six seats in, in inside a quad. Okay. But so uh, one for the driver. Yeah. Gun Four number one is at the front. But of the four at the back, only three are used. Right. Be- although there is a six-man detachment, the numbers five and six yeah. travel in the limber vehicle. Okay. So you have, four, and so it, it works that in a battery of four guns, you have six tractors yep. and uh, eight limbers. Right. So you have two 
tractors that are just towing, and we've got one of them up there that just towed two limbers. So, right. so, but the numbers five and six, who are the ammunition numbers on the detachment, travel in the um, with that ammunition. With that ammunition. So, in one troop, you've got six quads. Six quads in a troop, yeah. For four. For four, four guns. Four guns. Four guns, but eight limbers. So you're over So every gun has two limbers, yeah, basically. So, yeah, you've got, you've got plenty of ammunition then. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and one of these carries about 96 rounds. As well. So there's, there's ammunition in the, in the tractor, there's ammunition in the limber, yeah. and then there's two other limbers being towed by another... By a, that, that's right. how it was designed. Ideally, yeah. yeah. I mean, by 44, they stopped really using the limbers as much, right. uh, simply because... We were firing so much ammunition, you couldn't carry enough in the limbers. So, right. you know, near enough, every gun had a Bedford OY with 300 rounds in behind it, yeah. dropping it off behind the gun yeah. and, and boxing ammunition. I mean, ammunition is a big thing, and, and I know I, I keep harping on it, but there's an, an example in the Falklands War. Yeah. So, uh, 2 9 Commando, 8 out, eight Albemarle battery, were one of the fittest batteries in the British Army. They were all commandos, commando trained, fittest. Uh, as hell and they were on um, they were on uh, an attack uh, going in and I can't remember what the hill it was um, but their battery commander afterwards said they were the fittest soldier he'd ever served with and within 36 hours they were on their chin straps yeah because of the amount of ammunition they were unboxing to fire right. so it wasn't the yomping it wasn't the, it was the constant unboxing ammunition it was just masses of helicopter coming in dropping pallet loads behind each so each that was gun. the thing that that was the thing they spent their time doing was unboxing yeah, ammunition rather than firing the firing the guns yeah, the, and... that, that that was just a small part of it and if you ever see how much packaging that comes on a, yeah. a, a 105, it just... I mean, I remember when I used to be in the guns and they used to go the back of the gun, we used to do Army Air Corps shoots. And the worst thing about Army Air Corps shoots was they always wanted to fire a lot of ammunition. Right. But you get halfway through the day and they decided they'd done enough and you've got 100 unboxed rounds on the gun platform and they go, yeah, OK, that's it, guys, box it back box up it again. Box it back up again. God. So, right. uh, so it's a lot of work. Being an artilleryman is a lot of sort of physical lot of graft, isn't it? a lot of certainly manual labour. Yeah, certainly during the war it was. Yeah, yeah. it's why they all look so lean and mean. Well, it's why it's why, why, yeah, why, why, why you when can you tell from my well, the, well, my exactly. Scene. I was going to say well, you, you obviously haven't blanks, you? <laughs> you haven't unpacked very much ammunition lately. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm certainly packing a lot of ammunition. <laughs> I thought you were very trim. Thank you very much. Yes, now we can go see. But I want to hear all about this because the thing about the artillery, the core of artillery by the time of Normandy is the biggest. Part of the yeah. army, yeah, quarter of the more, entire army were gunners, and, and more people in it than the, than the yeah, twenty two percent, and more, were, were more people in the artillery than in the navy. Yeah, but do you know why? Well, because it's all Bar this. Bar is king. Because three hundred and sixty thousand men and women in were at command. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Let's not. You, you, you're ruining yeah. my. You're, you're ruining my cool story about the Queen of the Battlefield here. Well, no, no, Fire Bar was the Queen of the Battlefield. There's absolutely no question about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I mean, mean that was the, something that was like the Allied way of war. Eighty percent, about eighty percent of all heavy anti-aircraft rounds fired from 1944 in Europe were fired in the indirect fire role and ground targets as medium artillery. Brilliant. Let's go look at the. They didn't do it in the Western at, Desert, but they certainly did in Northwest Europe. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> let's go look at the 25 pounder in action. Yeah. With the, it's not with a gun crew though. With the detachment. Another, no, it's with a gun There's detachment. A, here we go. We've got another carrier being unloaded. It's always a joyous sight. Another quad. This is our favourite Humber. We're just yeah, you really past. like that, don't you? Jim, Jim took, it, took us out for driving it oh, earlier. It's just... Thing it's of one. We bounced across a field. He said, You can do 60 truck. in this. I thought that's probably not a good idea. 
right now. <laughs> We're taking off. <laughs> so what we can see as we're walking towards it now is a, is a 1944 uh, 25-pounder gun and number five bodied quad, Morris. Yeah. Uh, with uh, It hasn't got a six-man detachment. It's only got a five, six-count in the driver. So they all are all travelling in the in, in the, in the quad, right. Yeah. And who would have made this gun? Vickers? Who, where's well, this all big... different companies. Right, so all everyone's different... making them. Yeah, there's there's about seven different companies that put them all together. What's it called? A QF-225, pounder, isn't it? Quick, quick fire, fire yeah. yeah. Yeah, so anything with a cartridge, brass cartridge case was a quick fire, basically. Right, okay. Um, and so uh, it's a beautiful bit of kit. I mean, it really is. The 25-pounder only went out of service in Ireland uh, with their reserve units about five years ago. Is that so? Yeah, we were live fire. We got the chance to go over there and live fire with the Irish Army. How wonderful. Is that the last time you were truly happy, Keith? Yes, probably. <laughs> <laughs> we stroke him. So Although, look at this. So, so, so we did make carry him up a hill. Yeah, They're bloody yeah, heavy. Yeah, 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 so it's got a thing that looks a bit like a sort of massive cartwheel yeah, underneath yeah, it. Yeah, platform. Um, and that's the, the wheels sit on the platform, which enables 360 degree turning, and you don't get. And then you see, if you look at the, we call it the banana boat for slang, but its actual proper name is the box spade, which sits over the, um, the tro- so it doesn't dig into the ground. So it means you can slew it around. So all of the recoil of the gun is taken on the platform, not on the trail. If you didn't have the platform, you'd have to take that off. And and so it's it why it doesn't have ground. splayed legs like yeah. a seventeen pad or a six pad. Exactly that. Gun. Oh, got you. And because because and that just makes it easier degrees. to manoeuvre. Yeah, but you've only got five degrees of Travis. So if you have any big switches, your old number three puts his hand out, telling the number one he needs to move left and right. Yeah, okay. So when you're laying the gun, because it is an indirect fire weapon. So Keith, we're going to see this in action, aren't we? We are. We're going so, to. So you're action. going to stay with us and sort of talk us so, through it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so are, we, are we in the right position? Um, and are you going to issue right, orders? If we go forward of it, then yep. we can. Uh, they don't have to do a big turnaround. Okay, so all the, so the gun detachment is okay. now entering the quad. So just so you can see, tractor. so they're all sat in there. As you can see, it's pretty cosy. But every single one of them has got a number, and they know what their number is. So over the far side, you've got the number three. Th- next to him, you've got the five. Next four, two. So they all have, and they all know where they sit. Right. And it's all to do with the job they do when they go into action, when they get out the gun, they're not crossing over each other, they're not getting in each other's way, they go straight to the picture. Andy, do you want to move your wall can? They look like a sort of khaki beetles. <laughs> they do. On, on the platform. <laughs> and the number one, the number one would normally come out. So the GPO would come onto the gun platform uh, and he would put out his um, gun markers and then you'd, you'd come short, stop, the number one would jump out run to his marker and then he puts the sign up and we'll simulate that's going on there so if you go and stand up there and be on your marker and your gun tractor is the 50th Tintees division that is it yeah 124 field regiment yeah nice the junior landed on Gold Beach uh yeah but in July (laughs) yeah but came through in July 50th division 50 yeah 124 they had one battery uh, went in on the the 12th of June but yeah. most of them didn't arrive till July. So it's, it's very manoeuvrable. It looks like a long vehicle, but all of them follow the rear wheels. So right. wherever the tractor goes. Right. Right, here they come. So if we, we can walk this way, so we'll see what yep. they're doing better. So, the, so everyone one, knows exactly what he's got to do. Yeah, every number has a job. They know what they're doing. The first thing they've got to do is it's, drop the platform. Right. 
Oh, right, and then they'll and then with then they stand clear. The number then one then controls the tractor. The quad pulls it up onto the yeah. onto the platform. Right, okay. So they don't have to do that by hand. Uh, no, okay. Which would be a lot of effort. Then they it? put the lock in, so they can yeah. lock it now, so it can't fall back off again. Yeah. One yard. Imperial measures there. Right, Boris Johnson to be pleased. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, everything's in... in yeah, allowed again, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, he's brilliant. He's bringing it back. Um, right, and now they're turning the lights around. So the limber with the, the limber rather, is, sorry. is put down by the side of the gun. Uh, they always put it to the front right, unless you're the far left gun, and then they put it on the other side. Right. So Why it, it gives a bit of protection for the detachment if you come under fire. Yeah, although it's full of ammunition, so I mean, I don't know how much protection that is, oh, well, really. Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's very hard to set off around with a bullet, I can right, tell Right, OK. Right, OK. You, you, what, you, you can tell me. You know this for a fact, do you? Well, they've done some trials with <laughs> right. drops vehicles with right. 105s in. Yeah. And open it up on with a 50 cal and see if they can actually set, set the it off. Right. OK. Right, now they're depressing the... Um... Well, so the very first thing you do once you've come into action, and it was quite smooth, you know, they yeah. to, is you lay it at one zero degrees. So it's laid at one zero degrees, and then they would wait for the director, for the survey party, to shout, aiming point director. They'd then turn the, the, the top of the dial sight onto the director. The director would give them a bearing. They'd put the bearing, uh, sorry, the angle. They'd put the angle on the sight, lay back on the bearing. He would then give them a, a reciprocal bearing, and then they'd tell yeah. him, yeah, centre of arc, yeah. zero. And then that would be like... So we're going to fire around for you, but we're not going to do it where it's firing now because it's firing the wrong way. So what we'll do is we'll just move it around a bit. So, um, Andy, if you move the gun so the barrel's facing towards the trees and move the limber around accordingly, please. So the handles on there make it a lot easier to to pick up. Just push it that way out the way, Andy, and then... There's a lot of there's a, as well as the precision of operating the sights, the sighting. There's a lot of just actual push and shove being a, a, there is, a gunner, it's, it's, isn't there? There is, and, and, and it, like you say, it's very physical. Yeah, get the gun pointing where you want it, Andy, and then and then just put the limber on in the right place. So now you're going to see what the platform's for. So, so basically, the 25 pounder has an enormous handle, like a big broom handle at the back. Yeah, it's yeah. called yeah hand spike and. And then various gripping points that they can pick the gun up and move it. Yeah. And you can even do it yourself a tiny bit. You just no, on well, his number, own. One, number one, yeah. And, and actually, from the centre of the tote to the end is 10 degrees. Right. right. So if you're... We normally, when we're doing survey properly, we would put a, a, a peg in the ground under the toe eye. Yeah. And so if we knew the switch was more than 10 degrees, we'd know how to move it and where to move it to. Right. God, they're, they're, I mean, they'd really thought of... A lot, hadn't they, with 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 this weapon? They'd with yeah, this I gun. Mean, They'd really is. given it. And even the light gun that we use today has got a lot of the lessons that we'd learned yeah. on the twenty-five pounder. It has yeah. a platform, yeah. you know, the whole in the old days. So, um, right. Any questions? No. Before it goes really. bang. Just, just okay. He one one seven charge three. Blank round. Low. Check. Check. Low. Now, I'm not going to bother with loads of bearings and elevations yeah. like we would do. We would just go through. Number one gun. Fire! Fire! Whoa. You see why all the gunners get deaf, can't you? I, I, I beg your pardon? <laughs> How was that? 
That was, I felt that right in my uh, ghoulies. That was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. To so that jump. <laughs> Hope you got steady cam on there. Can you fire another one? Yeah, another yeah. one. We got two. Yeah, low. When we do the eighteen twelve over, John, we have to get them off pretty damn quick. Through number one. Stand by. Fire. Fire. So, how, I mean, how quickly would they turn rounds in? Because that's well, what we're taking rates. our time. So, normal, normal, so rate one um, is one round a minute. Rate six is six rounds a minute. So, uh, and that would be the standard. But the Australians, uh, sorry, the Canadians in France were getting away about seventeen rounds a minute. On a, if, on a, on a good detachment. Although. <laughs> the barrel gets hot very quick. Yes, yeah, yeah, and there's your problem. Well, yes. if, so you, wanna, if about... you come forward now, this is just blanks. You put your hand on that barrel, you'll feel how warm it is. Yeah, just from two rounds. That's just two blanks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And you imagine you've got the friction of the round going up there as well. It gets yeah. hot very quickly. I mean, well, we like used that. to pour water down the barrels and all sorts. But and in the desert, where it's hot anyway, your guns could get quite hot, quite hot, yeah. quite quickly, yeah? Well, <laughs> that sometimes can work for you. Right. So, um... There's a big argument about when was the 25-pounder last used by the Royal Artillery in anger. Yes. And um, a lot of people think it was with the SAS. Yes, that famous battle. Yeah, at yeah. Murbat. Yeah, yeah. But that was 1971. In 1975, um, there was a battery of artillery based in, in the Salala airfield, right. guarding the airfield. And it had four OPs on the, on the top uh, called Diana 1 Diana 4. And they needed to put a Diana 5 out. So they were taken out of that and went into action. And that was in 1975. And they were, Cracker Battery was an artillery battery. They had um, Jordanian troops in it as well, yeah. but they were all officered and all the key posts yeah. were gunners. So, um, and Bob Begbie, who's one of, a, a, a friend of the garrison, he uh, still works at the school. He was the GPO at the time. And we had two five fives in that battery, as well as 25-pounders. And the enemy were putting their heavy mortars... So they could engage the OPs, but we couldn't engage them. Right. They were just out of range. Yeah. So what he did was he laid some crinkly tin on the ground and laid the cartridges out on the ground and cooked them. Got them as hot as he could and then fired them. And they went further. And they increased the range by nearly 500. And that's knowing the ballistic problem. So that is a gunnery problem. And knowing it inside out is how you can increase the range of your gun by knowing what you can do with it. Wow. Amazing. I mean, this makes gunners sound almost as cool as sappers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you do realise you're in the Royal Artillery. The oh, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know all this. They were, yeah. they were playing football yesterday, yeah, yeah. the gunners against the sappers. Yeah. It's the only one that they can get their core colours for. They can play every other core, but the only ones they can get it for is playing, the, playing, <laughs> playing our brothers, the, uh, the Royal Engineers. Well, that is just absolutely fantastic. How amazing to see how many, how many, you think? How many, yeah, completely. How many 25-pounders were built and how many were deployed? Do you know what? I don't actually know for sure. It was over 3,000, I think. Right. Um, and the Canadians made them, we made them, the Australians made them, but I couldn't tell you exactly how many. But that, but that, that just goes made. to show how many were made. Is that you, there's kind of no way, no idea. Yeah, I mean, and, and there's so many different. So there is a version of the 25-pounder that doesn't have this muzzle brake on. Right. It's still a Mark II. Putting the muzzle brake on it didn't change it. It's still a Mark II. Yeah. So there's a lot of people think that if it hasn't got a muzzle brake, it's a Mark I, and if it has got a muzzle brake, it's a Mark II, but that's, that's not the case. Um, but... The, the um the one we've got one that's uh that hasn't got a muzzle brake on doesn't have the counterbalance weight on either yeah. built in 1940 even the tires were 1940 dated the 25 pounder mark ii was one of the first guns to fire at the enemy in the second world war right 
yet it wasn't in France or Belgium or Holland. Well, what? All right. What, Norway. Norway. We sent we sent three batteries, three troops of twenty-five pounder. We sent four brigades, yes. which should have been four regiments, but yeah. we only sent three batteries or three troops. Sorry, one really? battery. Yeah. Peculiar. And did they get their guns out or did they leave no. them? All oh, right. So <laughs> but they blew them up. Well. Right. Oh, good. 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 But that was the first time that they were used in anger. Amazing. What a thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I know well, a lot. You, I know a lot more about how confusing artillery is now. Yeah, and how I mean, boring I am. No, 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 no. no. You, you've come to the right place with this podcast. No, no, Let me you tell you that. You, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that wasn't boring at all. No, it was absolutely fascinating. And we'll we'll have four guns in the arena plus a sextant, so we'll have five twenty-five pounders firing. Oh, we're going to see the sextant firing. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's why we. That's why it's oh. there because that's coming into the arena to fire. Hallelujah. Plus, it's made your weekend, hasn't it? Yes, and yeah. we've got to get you both on one of the guns to fire. Yes, please. Yes, please. So that will we'll, we'll make that happen during okay. the weekend. Okay. Great. Well, thank you very much. Um, yeah, cheers, thank, thank thanks, you, boys. gentlemen. Um, I thought that was a really impeccable display of drill from the from the khaki I Beatles. Think so. I think John Paul George. You get to fight over which one's which. Yeah, who's Ring? Who's Ringo? And beat beat best. Beat best yeah. The extra beat. <laughs> no, thanks very much, Keith. Thanks for watching, everyone. That's the. Uh, That's just a snippet of the sort of stuff we've got going on here at Warfest. Cheerio.